Am I on? There we go. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. It is always a joy for me to uh, be in front of you, to open God's word with you, and to study what God has for us, especially uh, in October. As, as Patrick mentioned, we're looking at the Reformation, and we're looking at the, well, over these five Sundays, leading up to the 500th anniversary, we're looking at the five solas. So the, the three fives, I guess. Five Sundays of October, five solas, 500th anniversary. And uh, it, it's really something, the, the, the Protestant Reformation is really something that transformed history. It, it not only changed what's, what's going on politically, but it changed how the Lord uh, acted in Europe, how he, how he spoke to the people in Europe, and eventually to us. We are, if you trace our spirit, spiritual heritage back, we are um, the fruits of, of what happened there, the, of the uh, Protestant Reformation. And we're going to be looking at these different aspects of the Reformation, these different biblical principles that really fueled this movement. Now, these principles we call the five solas. And we call them five solas because they're, written, they're known as sola scriptura, which is scripture alone, sola fide, which is faith alone, Sola gracia, or grace alone. Solus Christus, that's Christ alone. And on the last Sunday, we're going to be looking at soli deo gloria, glory of God alone. And we're looking at these things, we're looking at these things not just because they're interesting, or we're looking at these not just because they're part of our spiritual heritage, but in looking at this, we're going to see the light of the gospel penetrating that darkness of the medieval ages. We're going to, we're going to see God at work by these faithful men who stood for their convictions, who stood on their, uh, for, their, for the faith and for the scriptures. And even more important than that, these key biblical principles must be active in our own life. They get to the core of what it is to be a Christian. So when we're looking at the five solas, it's not just something that happened in history and we could look at it as a history lesson and move on. This directly applies to us as believers. For example, you cannot deny salvation by faith alone and still be a Christian. If you're relying on works and faith, you're not really relying on faith at all. If you mix in works in there, there's no longer faith alone. We must recognize that our salvation is by faith alone, that it is by grace alone, and it is because of Christ alone. And all we do is for the glory of God alone. Now, how do I know this? Well, we know this because of the authority of scriptures alone. And this is what we're looking at today. We're going to look at sola scriptura. We're looking at the principle of scripture alone. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So please turn your Bibles with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you turn there, I thought it would be helpful that we go back to the 16th century, and we look at this moment in time a little bit more carefully, that we refresh ourselves with what the Reformation is, with what was going on. Now I'm going to look at a little aspect of it. There's, there's so much to talk about the Reformation. Um, our pastor just mentioned the Waldensians, and that happened about 300 years before the Reformation, and we could go that far back. But I want to look at one man in particular, and that's going to be Martin Luther. And a little bit of background here. In the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church was powerful. It was the only 
I'll say that's only an official church. There were other churches there, like we mentioned, the Waldensians is a good example of that. But they're, they're only a, the only official church, they had essentially a monopoly on the, uh, let's say, government-backed um, religious aspects of life, and they're immensely influential politically. And we could say that they pre- pretty much ran all of Europe. They had that much sway with the different governors and with the kings and with the princes. So here comes this little lowly Catholic monk, right, Martin Luther. And we're going to be hearing more about him as we go through the, the month of October. Uh, but for now, suffice it to say that Luther was this good, obedient monk that he really did try to live in a way that was in conformity to the Catholic Church. But when he saw the corruption within the Catholic Church, uh, it shocked him. And what triggered this was the selling of indulgences. Now, if you don't know what indulgences are, in the Catholic belief, there is a, a belief that after you die, you don't immediately go to heaven. There is an intermediate state called purgatory. And in that place, in that purgatory, you pay off the remaining sin that you had. And so within that system of theology, these preachers will go out to the, to, through Europe saying that if you give financially, if you pay some money, we could reduce that time in purgatory. And by some, so a substantial amount of years, it would be like millions of years would be taken out of purgatory. And it could, you could do this for yourself. You could do this for your deceased family member. They would guilt trip you. Like your, your father is in purgatory and he's waiting for you to pay for this so he could get out of it and go to heaven. And so these people were exploited. The people in the 16th century were being exploited, and Martin Luther saw this. And he saw that the money that was going to, from indulgences that were going to the Catholic Church was being used to build these ornate buildings. It was being used to expand their political enterprise, the Roman Catholic Church uh, political enterprise, and he could not stay silent. And so this is where we get the 95 Thesis. He posted on the, the front door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, 95 theses that attacked the indulgences. And in order to t- attack the indulgences, he had, to go to, he had to attack the Pope's authority as well. And it got in big trouble. I think it's good to remember here that Luther did not start out saying, I'm going to divide the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to start my whole, a whole new branch of Christianity. That wasn't his intention. Even with the 95 Thesis, he did not want that to happen. What he wanted was for the Catholic Church to be reformed from within. But as the Catholic authorities began interrogating him, as they started to tell him, recant, it became clear to Luther that what the Bible teaches and what the Catholic Church teaches are not compatible. In fact, during a a tense trial, his accusers were telling him, Luther, renounce your views or you'll be excommunicated, and there is an underlying tone of more harm than that. And Luther famously replied, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I could do no other. Luther would not subvert the authority of scriptures to the authority of the Pope. It must be scripture alone that claims that authority, not the traditions of man, 
not any earthly authority, not, any, not even the preacher of this pulpit. It is only the authority of God, only the authority of Scripture. So let's jump to 2017. What we're looking at here, that happened in 1517, where Luther posted those theses. Now 2017. I think a valid question would be, what do the actions of one man 500 years ago have to do with being a Christian now? I think another question is, does the Reformation still matter today? And what we're looking at today, specifically, what does sola scriptura, scripture alone, what does that mean for me now? And I can say that what that means for us now is that we need to uphold scripture above all else, above any preacher, above any book, above any human theories, the scripture alone must be the highest authority. And if you look at our worship service, even what we've done so far, we keep the word of God central to a worship service. When you guys came in and you sat down, we started singing songs that centered around scripture. We were singing scripture. We had our pastor read from Philippians the scripture. Without any commentary, it was just a scripture being read. And now we, I'm preaching the scripture to you. We preach the scripture from this pulpit. It remains the center of our worship. That's scripture alone. And that's how you see it here at Christ Bible Church. Now, the second we take away from that, the second we step away from the authority of scripture, we return to the darkness of the middle, medieval ages where men eclipsed the word of God. We want God to speak to us. And he, he, could, he does that through his word. Even on a more personal level, on a more individual level, scripture alone means that we must be abiding in the word. If we are to really live out this principle of scripture alone, it must be influencing our daily life. The scriptures must inform our thoughts. Our actions should be dictated by the scriptures. We want to be in obedience with the scriptures to what God has commanded in his word. And this is what the Reformation was all about. This is what sola scriptura is all about. It's not only saying that the scripture is our highest authority, but it's actually living that. That anyone could look at our lives and clearly see that scripture is the highest authority in our lives. So when we go to our text in 2 Timothy 3, we see this principle of scripture alone. And again, I'm not, I'm not preaching scripture alone because that's what the Reformers said. I'm preaching scripture alone here right now because this is what God has said in his word. So when we look at 2 Timothy, we're looking at an epistle written by the Apostle Paul. He was in, he was in imprisonment right now. He was facing execution. He could see it coming. He knows he was in his last days. And he writes this letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he reminds him that he can confidently obey and follow the scriptures as a word of God, as having the authority of God, and he could be prepared and equipped for the work of God. The, uh, Timothy was, being, was pastoring in Ephesians, and Paul wanted to encourage him that with the scriptures. And this is what it is to, be, to, to live sola scripture, to live by God's word alone. And we need this encouragement today. I mean, it is almost a daily occurrence that I hear either through the, the many podcasts that I listen to or the radio or television, I hear of the scriptures being attacked, uh, being mocked, being dismissed. And as Bible-believing 
Christians, as those who take the word of God seriously, were constantly seen as fools because we believe something that's ancient and irrelevant, according to them. But we have to remember that we don't obey the Bible. I'm not reading from the Bible today because it supports our views. It conforms to what I wanted to say. I'm not reading the Bible because it's simply what Christians do. The reason why I'm reading the Bible is because it is the word of God. So I hope you, when, as we read the word of God here and, and we go through it together, that I hope you become refreshed and rejuvenated. I hope that Paul's words given to us through the Holy Spirit will be to you like, like cold water to a thirsty marathon runner, that you would become rejuvenated and you would continue to press on towards the goal in obedience and full confidence in scriptures as we continue what the reformers started back in 15, or what Martin Luther started back in 1517. So read with me. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to start from verse 10, but our focus to, uh, this morning is on 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, just as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Father, I just pray right now that you would help us as we study your word, that you would increase our appreciation, not only for the fact that we have your word of God in our laps, but also for what it is that we have, your direct word. Father, I pray that as we study this, that even in the, in the middle of this sermon, in the middle of this service, that you would increase our love for your word. And I pray, God, that you would help me to teach this clearly and help me to be your servant as you speak to these people here through the word. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. So again, our passage that we're looking at is 16, verses 16 and 17. And what we see here are three characteristics of Scripture. Three characteristics that encourage believers to live by God's word alone. And these three characteristics are the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and the enablement of Scripture. It is the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and the enablement of Scripture. Now, it is clear, as, as what I read, that Timothy already knew this. He already believed Scriptures. It was taught to him at a young age. If you go to uh, chapter 1, we'll see that his grandmother and his mother were faithful in teaching him the gospel. And he also learned it from Paul. I mean, he was, he was a travel companion to Paul uh, during many journeys. 
And so why would Paul include a doctrine that Timothy was so familiar with? Why would he tell them about the inspiration of Scripture now? And I think it's because Timothy needs encouragement to continue to minister. Paul was reassuring him that he can preach the gospel, that he can minister to the Ephesians uh, by the word of God because the word of God is inspired. And that brings us to our first characteristic of Scripture. The first characteristic that we see in verse 16 is the authority of Scripture. Paul writes that all Scripture is inspired by God. And if you're reading the ESV, it might say breathed out by God, which is a pretty close translation to what the, the Greek has. But when we read inspired or when we hear about the inspiration of Scripture, we're not talking about the same inspiration that you get when you look at an amazing piece of artwork or when you hear a particularly moving piece of music. Now, this inspiration goes far, far, far beyond that. So inspired by God in the Greek is actually one word, theonoustos, and it means God-breathed. It means that it comes from God himself. Now, what does that mean about the Scripture's authority? Let me put it this way. When we're told that we have jury duty, and I know, great, jury duty. Not, not the best memory to conjure up. But when we're told about jury duty, we get a letter in the mail. And when we read that letter, we know who it comes from. It, it comes from, we could say the government, it comes from the U.S. District Court telling us, or summoning us, that we need to appear uh, to fulfill our obligation to do our jury duty. Now, we could tell ourselves, as we're looking at that, that letter, and say, well, if this was really important, the judge could just come to my door and tell me to go. Instead, he just sent a letter, and you throw away the letter. Or maybe you accidentally throw it away. Um, and so what are you doing with that letter? You're, you're treating it not with the same authority as you would if the judge has come to your house, right? If the judge came to your house and say, you need to be here. You're more likely to say, yes, I'm going, rather than receiving a letter. But that letter carries with it the authority of that judge. It carries with it the authority of the government. If you ignored that, uh, you could either pay a fine or you could get what's called a bench warrant out which is someone could arrest, uh, the co uh, police officer could, could arrest you for doing that. I think that's an extreme case. I haven't had that happen to me when I accidentally uh, forgot about my jury duty. But what is it, what is it that we're, we're really doing here? When you ignore the jury duty, you're denying the authority that comes with it. And people treat the scripture the same way. They look at scripture and say, this is just a, a book written by man and has no authority with it. They read it, they dismiss it. People treat it, treat it academically only and don't apply it to your lives or their lives. And when we do the same thing, when we don't apply it to our lives, when we just come to church or we read it in the mornings or in the evenings and we forget about it, we're forgetting that authority that it comes with. The scripture tells us that it's breathed out by God. The scriptures originated from God's mind. It carries the authority of God. Now this has massive implications. It means to obey scripture is to obey God. It means to read scripture, to read what we have here, is to read God's message to you. 
It also means to disobey Scripture, means to directly disobey God. So this is the authority that Scripture has, but not only does it have authority, if we trace that authority, God, God is perfect. And so therefore, his word must be perfect. It must be without error. Jesus said that God's word is truth. So when we read in the scripture about the creation account, that God made the heavens and the earth in six days, that's truth. When we read in Joshua that the sun stood still, well, that's truth. It actually happened. And when we read that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved and you'll be able to spend eternity with God in heaven, that's truth. This is God's message of truth to you, and you must believe what the scripture says, and you must live it out. Now, before I develop this further, further I want to take a moment to, to answer some possible questions, very common questions that come up when, when we're talking about the inspiration of scripture. First, what exactly is all scripture, right? When we look at verse 16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God. So what is this all scripture that Paul is referring to? Well, he didn't have the New Testament. And he's writing the New Testament, so he didn't have it. So he was referring to the Old Testament. Now, does that mean that the New Testament books can be excluded? Because Paul says all scripture, that's Old Testament. He doesn't say New Testament is inspired. Well, I believe it does. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in this, but you could just write these down. First, the apostles knew that they were writing by the Holy Spirit. If you go to 1 Corinthians 2.13, 1 Corinthians 2.13, Paul writes that we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit. So Paul recognized its divine origin. He was saying that it's not coming from him. It's not just merely human wisdom. It's coming from God. Jesus told the disciples that they will speak with authority. And in John 16, 13, he, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So again, we see that there's an active uh, presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is working with these writers. And then maybe one more verse, 2 P- uh, Peter three sixteen. In 2 Peter three sixteen, Peter's looking at Paul's writings, and he groups them with the rest of Scripture. So whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, we see that we're reading God's authoritative word, that it comes from God. And so this is what Paul's focusing on. When he says the, the written word of Scripture is breathed out by God, he's saying that the Scriptures are inspired, and not the writers. We're not saying the writers are inspired. Right? Paul's not going to write a, a, a quick grocery list and say, oh, this is from God, half and half, got to have it. It's the scriptures that are inspired, what we have here. And so the Bible, well, uh, one more question here before I move on. The second question that might arise, how can the scriptures be inspired by God if it is written by man? Right, so I opened up this sermon here saying we're looking at 2 Timothy written by Paul, and I'm saying it's by God. So how does that work out? Well, the Bible, in its perfect sufficiency, answers that question. 2 Peter 1, 20-21. And if your Bible doesn't have that as a note next to, next to uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, write it in your Bible. They go hand in hand. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20-21 through says this, 
But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own inter- interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. So it's clear, no prophecy, nothing being spoken forth from God comes, originates from man. And Peter goes on and says, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So this is affirming what Paul's writing. That the scriptures here do not come from God, that God uses man as an instrument to write, to, to write down his message, to record his message. He uses everything about him. He uses their personality. He uses their personal history, the vocabulary, their writing style to write his word. I think, I think of a guitarist. You know, a guitarist, he could go and play the same song, let's say, on five different guitars. And each of those guitars, the song is going to sound a little different. Although the notes may be the same, the song is going to be a little different. Each guitar has its own strings. It has uh, its own um, uh, body of the shape of the guitar or the shape of the body of the guitar. Even the the length of the bridge, where you put the bridge, changes everything about the tone. So all these things give each guitar its unique tone. But the same guitarist plays the same notes. And so God uses the many authors of the Bible and with their own personalities to record God's message to man. And so we see Paul's first point here in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture should be treated as a direct, authoritative word of God, completely free from error. That is what we believe here at this church. Now, can anything else rightfully claim this authority? Can anyone or anything else supersede the scriptures in authority? And of course not. Only the scriptures can speak with the voice of God. It, this, is down, this, is, this is the essence of sola scriptura, which is why the reformers were so focused in putting the Bible into the hands of the people. Martin Luther, he translated the whole Bible into German so that the German people could have the Bible, that it wouldn't be just restricted for the priests who read the scriptures in Latin. We know William Tyndale. He translated scriptures into English so that the people could have the word of God, and he paid a dear price. He paid with his life for doing that. And they believed that the people should have direct access to God's word. This is our heritage. Men have died in getting the Bible that you have today. Do you see the scripture's worth in that? Do you see what a privilege it is to have the oracles of God, to have God's message right here in in many of your laps? Now, do you treat the Bible as such? Do you come to church or to Bible study ready to hear God's word, knowing that you're going to open God or open the Bible and God's going to speak to you himself through his word? Or has it just become so commonplace that we come to church and we walk out and dismiss what we heard. Dismiss the fact that we've just opened this Bible that men have died for and that God has spoken to us through. I mean, why am I preaching to you from the Bible today? It's not because the Bible has good morals, which it does. It's not because the Bible is good for faith and practice, which it is. But I'm preaching to you from the Bible and we exalt the Bible here at this church because we know the Bible is the word of God. 
We need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the Bible be preached. We need to sing about the Bible. We need to pray through the Bible, and we need to obey the Bible. So not only is the scripture authoritative, is inspired by God, not only does it come from God, but Paul goes on in verse 16. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is getting at the sufficiency of scripture. So we know that the word of God, uh, the, the, the Bible is the word of God. It comes from God. And Paul immediately moves to encourage Timothy that it is useful for the Christian. And these are closely related. Because the Heavenly Father has given us the scripture, we know that it is authoritative. We know that it is inerrant. And because we know that it comes from a perfect father, we know that it is going to be useful. It is going to be sufficient for us. Now let me define sufficiency here. By sufficiency... I mean that scripture provides us with everything we need for salvation. It provides us with everything we need for living in obedience. And it provides us with everything we need to live for his glory. And I think this is what Paul's getting at here. When we're looking at 2 Timothy 3.16, and he's saying it's profitable, Paul is saying this is sufficient. Now how amazing is our God that he would not only give us this knowledge and that he tells us to know it, but it goes beyond that, that this knowledge, this, this book, is useful for us, that we could actually use it in our own lives. We could apply it. That it is, it is beneficial for us. This is not like a, like a TV uh, remote manual, right? When you, you, you don't really need to, well, I guess sometimes you do, depending on the remote. Uh, but there are manuals that you don't have to read that we often don't read, right? The Bible is not like that. The Bible is beneficial for us, and, and we need it. But he, and he has given it to us so that we would know salvation, that we would find it useful, that we will continue to minister, that it, the Bible will continue to minister to us as we continue in our Christian lives. And so Paul describes here this multifaceted use of Scripture. And uh, it's like a good Swiss Army knife. If you have a good Swiss Army knife, and that thing is so useful, especially for hikes. Don't ever go on a hike without some kind of knife, by the way. But if you have a good Swiss Army knife and you know how to use those tools, that could get you out of almost any situation. Or it could help you survive a lot of situations. You could use it to, to build a shelter. You could use it to make some fire. Uh, you could use it to defend yourself. Right? You need that Swiss Army knife at times to survive. And so is the word of God to the believer. You need this book, you need the Word of God to, to thrive as believers, as Christians. You need it to defend yourself. You need it to build yourself up. You need all these different facets of Scripture to become a mature Christian that remains devoted to the Word of God. And so when we look at these facets, we're looking at the sufficiency of Scripture. And the first facet, the first use of Scripture that we see is in the middle of verse 16, where it says, profitable for teaching. Profitable for teaching. Now, we're talking about here doctrinal content. That's what Paul's getting at. We're looking at the doctrinal content of Scripture. You know, that means that when we look at Scripture, we can know the truth about God. We can know the truth about heaven and hell. We know the truth about creation and about man. It has all been revealed in his word. 
In fact, look at the previous verse, verse 15. Paul says to Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation. So what does scripture contain? The wisdom that leads to salvation. We can't get to salvation without this. We needed the the scripture, and the scripture contains that message of the gospel. Think about where it begins. It begins with the creation of man, that man was created in the image of God. It tells us the story of man who, who, who sinned and rebelled against God, and yet God had this plan of salvation. And he showed this patient, faithful love to this people Israel, and from Israel a Savior is born. And when we jump into the New Testament, we see that God becomes flesh in person, that God becomes flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The Savior is born. He lives a perfect life, yet he dies on the cross bearing our sin, and was resurrected on the third day. And the scripture tells us that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father and will return with his church to usher in his kingdom. We need those teachings. Imagine how lost we would be if we didn't know all that. The scripture contains that. And there's no other way to get to heaven but to believe this message, as the scripture tells us, to believe the gospel. Everything you need to know about God, everything you need to know about living a, a, God that, a life that glorifies God is found here. It is sufficient. It is not lacking any doctrinal truth. And think about what happens when we go away from these teachings. Without these teachings, without having the truth of God, heresy and error begin to seep into the church. And we've seen that historically in the U.S., Many churches have looked at the Bible and said, it is a word of God, but it's not completely true. There are some things in there that we need to change. Inevitably, what happens to those churches is that those churches fall. They no longer glorify God. And if we depart from Scripture, essentially it's like departing or just leaving this beautiful garden. If you have a beautiful garden and you neglect to water it, you neglect to take out weeds, that garden just be overrun. And the beauty of that garden begins to diminish, and eventually these weeds begin to overtake the garden. And if we step away from Scripture, the weeds of falsehood will come into our church, it will come into our own lives, and eventually overtake our own spiritual lives. But when we stay in Scripture, when we receive the truth, what we're doing, we are making these deposits of truth in our own lives and that we're going to draw from it when we're tempted from sin. We're going to draw from those truths when, when our faith is challenged and when we go through trials. So we need Scripture for the doctrinal content. We need Scripture for its teaching. We need it to strengthen our faith, but we also need it to defend our faith. And this is what the next use we have. We'll go back to verse 16. It says that, The scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, and the next use of scripture, profitable for reproof. Now, this is the idea of defending the faith, and we've seen this. Uh, Jesus used the scripture for defending the faith. Remember when he he goes out to the wilderness, and he spends 40 days in the wilderness, and and Satan attacks him, right? He, He tempts him. And how did Jesus respond with each temptation? He says, it is written. He was going to the scriptures. He was responding with scripture. Now, as a son of God who speaks 
and his words become scripture, is going to scripture to fight against these temptations, to defend himself, how much more should we? We need to be in scripture. It's like a good soldier. A good soldier has his weapon ready for battle. And we need to have the scriptures ready. We need to, it needs to be in our hearts. It needs to be in our minds. We need to be constantly meditating on it. So when those attacks come, we're ready. We're able to fight it off. Now, the reproof has also the idea of rebuking wrong behavior. Now, Matthew 18, 15, right? That's, that's a passage that we talk about when it comes to church discipline. And in Matthew 18, 15, it says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Well, this has the same idea for reproof. It, the, the same verb that's used for show him his fault is used here for reproof. And this is what Scripture does on its own sometimes. Scripture shows us our sin. Scripture reveals what we are hiding. I mean, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 portrays Scripture as the word of the, portrays scripture, portrays the word of God as a sword that is living and active. It pierces deep into the man to his very core and reveals what the man thought was hidden. Now, if you're a Christian, you understand this conviction. How many times have you, have you been in, in a sermon or you've been in church and, and all of a sudden it feels like the, the, the preacher's talking right to you? Right? That's a conviction of the word. Or you're reading the word in the morning and you're reading a certain passage and all of a sudden your scripture's just laid bare before God. Well, that's a ministry of the word. It is through those convictions that those weeds of sin those are, are cut from our garden and we are able to continue growing in holiness. So we've seen that the scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof. And now Paul continues with correction. Now correction is, is not as negative as reproof. Correction has a, a positive side to it. Right, so this is the idea of, of a sense of improvement, of restoration. Literally, the verb here means to make something stand upright or put someone back on their feet. And any, any parent right, knows this, especially when, when your, your babies start walking around and, and, or start crawling and they're starting to walk. Uh, what I do with, with Millie, you know, I let her stand up and then I kind of take away my hands and she does one of those dances like she's going to fall. But then I go there and help her. Right? I give her off from my hand, and then she could walk for a little bit, and then she'll eventually fall back down. Uh, but that's, this, is a, this is the idea of correction, that when we fall, when we sin, the Scripture restores us. The Scripture tells us what we need to do, how do we get back with God. Right? The Scripture tells us that if we ask for forgiveness, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the, the word of God doesn't stop at just saying you're wrong. The word goes beyond that, and, and, they, and the word puts us back on our feet and helps us to walk towards righteousness. So scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and we have one last point. Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. This has a positive sense to it, right? As, as a father, as a father trains and instructs his children how to live, so our Heavenly Father trains us through the word of how we should live. Specifically, he trains us in righteousness. Now, when we see that here, training in righteousness, that righteousness is a standard to which he's training us to. 
That is, that scripture trains us in upright behavior, in conduct which honors and glorifies God. And as we spend more time in scripture, as we are immersed in the word of God, we become sanctified. We become more sanctified. I mean, what did, what did Jesus pray to the Father in John 17? He says, he prays about the disciples to, to God, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And as we spend time in his word, we begin to love what God, what God loves. We begin to hate what, what God hates. Our sin, sins that we didn't have an issue before, suddenly become a big deal. And we want to eradicate them from our lives because of that ministry of the word. And we desire to live in a way that, that God calls us to live. And if, if you're not seeing that progression in sanctification, then I've got to ask you, what is the word of God doing in your life? How much time are you spending in the word? Because the word does sanctify. The word does train us in righteousness. And so we see these four uses of scripture. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And all of these flows out of what, of what Paul said, first said in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. Because the Bible is the word of God, we can trust that all it is, that it is all true, that it is all profitable for our lives. And as we spend more time in Scripture, this will help us to grow in our spiritual maturity. So what we're seeing here is the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scripture is enough for us to grow in Christ, for us to grow in our Christ-likeness. And with all these uses, there's nothing lacking for the Christian. You have everything you need right here. Now, we don't need any traditions of men. This is what the Catholic Church teaches, that we have scripture, but we also have church tradition, tradition, church authority. But we don't need that. We just need the Bible. We don't need any extra revelation. Right? The, the Mormons claim that there is an extra book that, that, that we need to read. In fact, I had them come over to my house yesterday. Yes, yesterday. Came over to my house yesterday, tell me about the Book of Mormon. But that is not only a lie, but that is not needed. We have the script. We, I have everything I need right here. Why would I have to look anywhere else? We don't need a priest telling us what the Bible means. All we need is scripture and the Holy Spirit that's residing in us, that is teaching us what is in his word. This is what it means by sola scriptura. This is scripture alone. Now, don't get me wrong, I think there's, there could be a misconception about Scripture alone that I would say that's, that some could take it to be that, well, all we need is the Bible. We don't need any other books. And that's true in a sense of authority, but, but books, authors, these teachers that God has given to, to the church are incredibly helpful in understanding the Word of God. Um, we have to remember that they're not inspired. Right? When, when you're reading an author... Uh, a, a, um, uh, a, I want to say a modern day author, not, not an author of scripture. Uh, we have to recognize that they're not inspired, but the only reason those books are helpful is because they are building on the foundation of the scriptures. And so, verse 16, we see the authority of scripture and the sufficiency of scripture. And now Paul continues, verse 17, with the enabling of scripture. So Paul says this, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So that we have a purpose. The purpose of the scripture is that 
we would be adequate, that we would be equipped, that we'd be proficient for the word, the work that God has laid before us. The word equips us to tackle the tasks that God has before you. Now, this should be an encouragement to you. If you have a ministry, you are proficient for that because you have the word of God. If you are a father or a mother and you're raising these kids and it's looking like a daunting task, well, because we have the word of God, we are proficient for that task that God has set before us. If you're evangelizing, if you're in the workplace and you're sharing the gospel, you don't have to feel that you're inadequate for that because you have the word of God. It makes you adequate. And this is Sola Scriptura. This is God's word alone. It is authoritative, it is sufficient, and it enables us to glorify God in our own lives. So I'll close with, with this application. With a Bible that equips you and it, and, it, and it gets you ready for the task that God has sent before you, if you're feeling discouraged, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in marriage, where we're talking about ministry or evangelism or even in relationships, God has everything you need in the scriptures. And if you feel insufficient, if you feel insufficient even standing before God, the scriptures has a message of the gospel, which tells us that we can come before God, not based on our righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. This is sola scriptura. This is how we live by God's word alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the scriptures, for for not only giving us your word, but for equipping us with your word. That we can confidently go forward knowing that your word is true, knowing that, that the Bible comes from you, and that we could tackle whatever you have set before us. Father, I pray that, you would never that we would never approach your word so flippantly, that we would never take it for granted, but that we would always approach it for what it is. It is the authoritative word of God. I pray that you would help us remember that. I pray that you would help us to look back at the great men in history who have risked it all so that your word will go out into the world. And I pray that you would continue to sanctify us by your word. Keep us in your word. Increase your hunger, not only individually, but as a church, that we would desire your word so strongly and that we would remain centered on your word and be with us as we go about our week that we may faithfully proclaim your truth to this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.